Amen. You can have a seat once more. So awesome. So cool. I've been anticipating these moments for months, and I've kind of had this word in my back pocket that I knew God wanted to speak over our church during this season as we launch into a new location. And the word that he gave me to speak over this season is the word dreamer. And so we're going to do a series in the month of September on the life of a guy named Joseph in the Bible and look at the relationship between God-sized dreams and daily frustrating struggles. I'm going to say that again. We are going to look over the next month at the relationship between God-sized dreams and daily frustrating struggles. And I just believe that there's someone at church tonight who desperately needs to know that the suffering and struggle that is all too real right now is producing something meaningful for there and then. And I believe that the life of Joseph is going to be the ultimate example. And what's going to happen is the more that we look to his life and the more that we let the word of God speak to us, I think dreams are going to rise up in this season of our church like never before. And when I say God-sized dreams, I'm talking about dreaming big. Somebody said to me when I was growing up, they said, if you have a dream in your heart that doesn't require the hand of God to move on your behalf for that dream to come true... That is not a God-sized dream. That is a good idea. So when we say God-sized dreams, we're talking about believing God for a life that's bigger than, immeasurably more than all we can even ask or imagine. We're talking about putting our life in a position that says, God, if you don't come through, I don't think this is going to happen. And what's so beautiful about ACC is that for five years, we've managed to keep our church in that position of dependency and desperation. The most powerful work God can do in and through your life is when you're desperate enough to recognize that you're desperate and dependent and to say it out loud over and over and over again. And it's so uncomfortable and it's not attractive, but the more you do that, the more you create a pathway for the presence and the power of God to move in and through your life. And so when I say dream big, I mean we're going to openly be a group of people that go, if God doesn't come through, this isn't going to happen. And whatever this is, is subjective to your life and calling. But I believe when you put your life in that type of position, God gets excited about that because that's where he gets to show off. We're going to believe God for big things. We're going to stop being the Christians that dread the future so much. This drives me crazy. Anytime I preach on anxiety and fear, I feel like everybody leans in, and me included, because I need it. There's never been a time on planet Earth where more people have been struggling with fear of the unknown, fear of what they can't control, fear just crippling us and paralyzing us. And part of that's understandable because of how connected we are through things like social media. But part of that is sad, especially when you consider that Christians claim to be following a guy who rose from the dead. And the book that we believe in also claims that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. If you are a Christian, you should not be dreading the future. You should be hopeful about the future. Like It is okay that we live in a world of suffering and for you to have your hopes up about 10 years from now. It's okay for you to stop being just so, oh, man, I don't know what it's going to look like, and I don't know how it's all going to play out, and I just hate that I can't control it, and switch that over to, you know, I'm actually best friends with the God who created all of this and the God who controls all of this. I got a reason to have my hopes up. I got a reason to believe the best is yet to come. I got a reason to believe I haven't seen anything yet so far in my life that the future holds more than the past, and God's creating the future here and now today. We're going to dream big. For some of you who are older, and this is less of you at the 7 p.m. than it was this morning, you're not just going to dream big. I believe God's going to call you to dream again. You might be in this room and be looking around going, what am I doing in a room of so many young people listening to a guy preach a sermon series on dreams? Like, it's fun for the young people to talk about dreaming big dreams because they're thinking toward the future. They're thinking toward jobs and marriages and what their life is going to look like. But 
you're maybe in an older season of life and you're going, man, those days are behind me. Like the dreams that have come true and the dreams that I've lost, it's kind of set in stone. Well, maybe you missed the sermon series that we did a month ago called Even Now, where we read from the book of Joel that the prophecy about the Holy Spirit going out on planet Earth included this result. This is so key. When the Holy Spirit went out in the book of Acts, do you know what was prophesied about what the Holy Spirit would do? That the Holy Spirit would cause the old men to dream dreams. One of the main results of the power of God going out is that it tells the people who think that it's over and think that they're down and out that it's actually not over and you're actually going to get another shot. And God can do more with three breaths that you have left than he did with three billion breaths that you took so far. Hello, thief next to Jesus on the cross. If you're still breathing, God's not done. And a long time ago, like 12 hours ago at the 8 a.m. service, there was a group of women, all senior citizens, sitting by this pole who, as I made that point, they were like, preach, Miles. They were trying to raise the roof, and like they couldn't stand, but they are like, yes, I'm with you. It was powerful. We want to be that church. We want to be the church that recognizes that some of the greatest dreams God gave in the Bible, he gave to people who thought that they were far gone. Abraham, God told Abraham, you're going to have a nation born to you, the people of Israel. And Abraham's like, I'm 90. It's over. Those days are over for me. God loves birthing new dreams in people who forgot they were even allowed to dream. And so for a lot of us, this is going to be about dreaming big. For a lot of us, it's going to be about dreaming again. But here's what we're not going to do. We're not just going to be a bunch of dreamers in la la land we are not gonna oh what if god did this through me and what if and i've just been and and this is how some young people talk and i'm not hating on you if this is you but i just want to correct you like man i've just been i've just been dreaming i've just been dreaming about this lately i had a like dream fest that when i was getting coffee and then i just dreamed no just be careful with that word like you weren't dreaming you you thought about that last week um, dreaming is whoa. Dreaming is something that happens between us and God, where God unveils a vision and a burden for humanity that He wants to use your life to be a solution. He wants to use your life to love on people. But we're not just going to go, oh, dreams, awesome. No, we're going to look at how our ultimate dreams for our lives collide with the struggle that is today, and we're going to look at how. The struggles that you can't get rid of, the things that you're addicted to, the things that you can't stop doing, the things that you think need to go away to fulfill your dreams are actually the things that God wants to use to lead you into your dreams. Enter into the story, Joseph. Are you excited for Dreamer? Come on, somebody. Part one of Dreamer is called Living the Dream. Living the Dream. Could you look at the person next to you and say, I am living the dream sitting next to you tonight. I'm living the dream sitting next to you. Now, if you're next to two people, look at the person you just ignored for whatever reason and say, keep dreaming. Keep dreaming. You just keep dreaming. Living the dream. So this is a phrase that our culture uses a lot. And it's a phrase that describes arriving at a destination that everybody else wants. When you say, I'm living the dream, you're saying, I've arrived. It's a combination of status, financial health, relational health. It's that place you want to get to. I'm living the dream. I've got it all. I've got the stuff. People know me. People see that I have arrived in life. And that is not the mentality that we're going to be talking about in Dreamer. In fact, that's the opposite of the mentality we are going to be talking about. Because when you think about living the dream according to what the world has to offer you, the byproduct of thinking that way is a lifestyle of frustration and disappointment. Because all today will ever be is a comparison to where you're not, and all you will ever feel like is less. And so if you got this standard that's like, it would be living the dream for me to be blank, guess what today is? A loss. Guess what tomorrow probably will feel like? Another L. And so over and over and over again, your life is a combination of all these frustrations, and you'll be singing these songs on a Sunday and looking at God going, why is my life like this? If you are who you say you are, why do my dreams seem so elusive and today feels like such a struggle? And you know what the saddest part about the mentality of living the dream is? Is that people who actually live the dream are the most depressed of all. 
people are astounded by how in the world can celebrities, people with all that esteem, all that money, all that value ascribed to them, how can they be committing suicide? How can they be overdosing? How can they be so depressed? Here's the answer. If you believed your whole life that something that you wanted was all you wanted in life and then you got it and it did nothing for you, there's nowhere else for you to go. I'm living the dream, and it did not deliver what it promised. The most depressing thing on planet Earth is to get what you always wanted and find out it wasn't actually what you wanted. So when I say living the dream, I'm not talking about by world standards. I'm talking about actually coming to realize that the God of the universe has a dream for your life, and it is not a destination. It is a journey. And what we're going to do through the life of Joseph is replace all of the destinations that you want to arrive at with a relationship with your heavenly father where you come to discover that living the dream is not where you're going to end up on your walk with God. The dream is simply your walk with God. That if I'm delighting in a relationship with my heavenly father today and that is my pursuit and that is my aim and that is my ambition... I'm going to end up places that I never thought possible, and I'm going to live the dream on planet Earth, but I'm not going to do it for the comforts and offers that this world has to give me. I'm going to do it because I'm in love with my God. For the very first time at 323 Airport Road, if you have your Bible, hold it up. Hold it up. Hold it up. Hi, hi. Okay, I promise this all day long. We might even let you stand up tonight if you're married or taken. Bible's down. Everybody else, can we get like some background music for this moment? Everybody else, 10 Mississippi seconds of shame free. Look around. All the way, if you need to stand up. Let me just see what we're working. Higher, higher, single people, come on. This guy, he's got nobody next to him, bro. That'll change. You're gonna have a date tonight. Let me see who else is out there. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna like start putting people together okay this guy looks good for you I'm just kidding turn with me in your Bible to Genesis chapter 37 Genesis chapter 30 that just happened okay at all three of the morning services I didn't do the single people Bible drill and I told them you have to come to the seven like you have to come to the seven that's where it's going to happen And that's one of those things where I I genuinely love that this service is going to be different. If you're not following us on social media, make sure that you do. Because every week, the 7 p.m. is going to have its own flavor to it. You can probably already feel that tonight, especially if you were here this morning. But even like next week. Next week, I'm going to preach all three of the morning gatherings. And then next Sunday night at 7 p.m. is a worship night. We're literally just going to have a worship night in here. We're just going to go for it. But it's not always going to be like that. Sometimes it'll be a day like today where this is a very similar talk to what I did this morning. Sometimes it'll be a guest speaker. Sometimes we might just all go jump on trampoline somewhere. I don't know. It's going to be, it's going to be unique. Follow us on social media. 7 p.m. is always going to be its own thing. Genesis chapter 37. That guy Abraham I told you about who God gave a dream to in his old age, he gave him a son named Isaac. And Isaac had a son named Jacob. And Jacob's name was changed to Israel. How many of you know that when you meet Jesus, you get a name change? Jacob means deceiver. Israel means triumphant with God. And Jacob's sons are the 12 tribes of Israel as the story of God unfolds. And one of his sons, who happens to be his favorite, is going to be the one that we focus on. Genesis chapter 37, verse 1. If you're there, say I'm there. Here we go. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel, that's Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph is the classic favored youngest child. If you are the youngest in your family... Raise your hand all over this room. You're the youngest. Y'all look around. These are the people we do not like. Okay, I'm just kidding. Hey, whoa. 
Okay, let's do this. If you're the oldest in the room, raise your hand. You're the oldest in your family. Okay, here's who you're looking at. You're looking at some, like, willpower. A lot of Enneagram 8s and 3s are in this group. Big-time achievers. Whoa, Enneagram reference during the sermon. Hey, you are not defined by a number. You are defined by who Jesus says that you are, okay? But the Enneagram is a helpful tool. So the oldest child is like, your parents had so much attention on you that it was almost overwhelming. You were over-disciplined, over-policed. A lot of you are really rebellious. I get it. I don't, actually, because I'm, I'm, I'm a middle child, and I was raised correctly. If you're, if you're a middle child, raise your hand. These are the best people on planet Earth right here. Because it's like all that attention was on the first child, so we had to deal with a little bit of neglect that made us independent, and we're like emotionally strong because we got a good amount of discipline, but not too much like our older sibling, but not too little like our younger sibling, and so we're good. Those are the people you want to marry. And if you're an only child, you're all three. You're literally all three. Listen, Joseph is that favored youngest child And he's favored so much so that his father gives him an ornate robe on top of him already being a 17-year-old tattletale. So did you read that in the story? He's literally telling on his brothers. They're they're, they're tending the flocks, and he's like, these these guys, they're, they're not working as hard as me. Hey, Dad, you need to do something about this. And not only is Dad agreeing with Joseph, he's rewarding Joseph. You've ever seen Joseph in the Technicolor dream coat? This is the coat of many colors. Jacob's like, you are favored, Joseph. You are distinguished. You are the one that I love. And so naturally, Joseph's brothers do not like him for it. And then this happens. Look at verse 5. Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of the dream because of his dream and what he had said. First lesson from Dreamer. Be careful who you tell your dreams to. Joseph goes, hey, guys, I had this crazy dream last night. You know how we, like, go out in the field? Well, we had all this grain, but, like, your grain was bowing down to my grain in a circle, and it was kind of like you were worshiping me. You were definitely, like, esteeming me and valuing me. Don't you think that's crazy? Because you got to understand, there was no written, documented account of God back then. The only thing they knew about God was what their dad told them. And if you read the story of Jacob, God communicates to Jacob through dreams. And so dreams were seen as the primary way that you would receive what God was saying. Joseph's like, hey, our dad's God is telling me that you're going to bow down to me one day. Isn't that awesome? And the brothers are like, we already hated you for telling on us. We already hated you for the robe. And, and now the hatred is overflowing to a level of we, we want to harm you. And then it's going to get really bad in verse 9. Then he had another dream. And he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. This is just a side note, but I think our artwork for this series is so fire. And I love that our creative team put 11 stars and the sun and the moon just because of this detail in the story. It's so powerful, so cool. It just shows your gift matters in the local church. When he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. So now Joseph is like, no, this, I had another dream. And this time it wasn't you guys bowing down. It was like the, the universe was coming before me to value me, to esteem me. 17 years old, loaded with dreams. And anybody who knows the story of Joseph knows this story is going to go from a dream in fantasy land to a nightmare very, very fast. His brothers aren't just a little bit angry. They don't just resent him. They want to kill him. And they make a plan 
to do so. Look at this. This will be the last verses we look at in chapter 37. Look at verse 17. It says this. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. Look at that. Dothan, Alabama in the Bible. Shout out to Dothan, Circle City, Peanut Land. But they saw him. It's there. But they saw him in the distance. And before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Now, a little bit of that plan they go along with. They take off Joseph's robe and they dip it in blood from an animal and they bring it back to their father and they say, look, Joseph died. It's unfortunate. We all miss him. We're going to be really sad at the funeral, but your favorite son, dead. Look at the blood. Like, this is legit. An animal attacked him. We tried to stop it and it was crazy. But the, the brothers changed their mind about murdering him because they don't want to deal with that guilt. They're like, come on, we can't, we can't murder our brother with our bare hands, but let's just sell him into slavery. Then we'll never see him again. That's what they do. And so they sell Joseph to a group called the Midianites, and the Midianites end up selling Joseph to a family of Potiphar in Egypt. And everything about Joseph's life over the course of the next 13 years is what we're going to be looking at in this series. But I just wanted you to catch, that's how his story begins. And as soon as he receives his dreams from God, everything about his life becomes crazy and looks like the opposite of what God just said. And so we're going to look at how he went from favored from his father to I'm getting sold off into slavery at 17. I'm going to a land I don't even know, to a house that I've never been to, and, and, and I'm just a slave now, and I was my dad's favorite a second ago, but then he doesn't lose his confidence in God. He ends up serving faithfully in Potiphar's house, and then Potiphar's wife tries to make a move on him and tries to sleep with him, but Joseph won't do it. Don't miss next Sunday morning, because we're talking about sexual temptation, and a lot of you need the talk that's coming next Sunday morning, and I don't mean that to be funny. I mean that literally, please come next Sunday. It's going to be powerful. And, and then Joseph is thrown into prison, convicted of trying to rape the wife of an Egyptian official that he didn't even touch. And while he's in that prison, he gets an opportunity to get out. But the person who was supposed to help him get out forgets about him. I mean, he receives a dream from God, and then his reality every day looks like God hates him. And some of you need to know today that the way you receive a God-sized dream from your heavenly father, 100% of the time, it will look nothing like that in real time. Like God does have huge dreams for your life. God is dreaming about certain relationships and certain things for your future and certain moments that he wants you to step into. But I promise you, it's not what you think. And when Joseph lived his dream, I guarantee you in that moment, his first thought was, this was not what I thought it was going to be. Because here's what happens. Joseph eventually, 13 years after this moment, is promoted by Pharaoh to be the right-hand man in the Egyptian civilization where he's going to feed a group of people, millions of people who would starve to death if it wasn't for Joseph. And all the people in the surrounding countries are going to come to bow down to Joseph just like the dream, including his brothers. And in that moment, Joseph had to be going, I'm living the dream, and this isn't what I thought it was going to be. ACC, I believe God has called you to live the dream, but in order to live the dream, you got to give up your version of the dream. Like Joseph's dream never died. His version of his dream died quick. And in order for God to resurrect a dream in and through your life, wherever there's resurrection power, there's always a death. And I believe the death that is happening at Auburn Community Church tonight is the death of all of your expectations of the details of your story because it's just not going to play out the way you think it is going to play out. Here's why. It's not because God is hateful. It's not because God is spiteful. It's because God's intentions for your dreams are different than your intentions for your dreams. Like when Joseph received this, he saw himself powerful, Brothers bowing down, nations bowing down. Everybody sees me. Everybody knows that I'm important. 
But do you know what God was thinking about when he gave Joseph this dream? God was thinking about taking sole possession of Joseph's heart through a series of events that were going to be overwhelmingly painful and difficult. See, God's dream for Joseph was to have full possession of his heart and use that to impact the world. And we have a lot of different callings in this room. Everybody look up here. There are so many different giftings. There are so many different cities that you guys are headed toward moving forward. I can't even imagine what God is going to do in and through your life. But I believe God has one dream over every single person who's here tonight. And it's this. God is dreaming about making you more like Jesus from the inside out so that a world in need would see the hope of the world on the inside of you and be changed just by knowing you. That's it. So I'm telling you, God is not dreaming today about the position that you will arrive at one day. You will get there. You will. And you think that's so important. You think getting to that altar in front of that guy or that girl is everything. You think that job is everything. You think whatever that desired destination, that is everything to you. I am telling you, God is not dreaming about the position you will arrive at. God is dreaming about the person you are becoming right now, today. And that's why today is hard. Because God knows in order to change you, he's got to mold you into the image of Jesus. And you have a long way to go. And so do I. So I believe this is what we got to do. We got to learn to change our ambition. We got to change our ambition from chasing our dreams to chasing the dreamer. This is huge. I read a Christian blog this week, and the title was Chase Your Dreams. The content of the blog was actually good, but that title, awful. Don't chase your dreams. That's how you end up frustrated and disappointed because the version you're going to get is not what you have in mind. Don't chase your dreams. Chase the dreamer. The dreamer in the story of Joseph, everybody don't miss this, it's not Joseph. It's God. God is the author and perfecter of dreams. God is the one who allowed for dreaming to be inside of human beings so that when we sleep, we literally project realities in our minds. Do you want to know why God gave us that? Because that's a part of who God is. Do you know how the world was made? God had a dream, and boom, it happened. Everything that God dreams in his heart comes to pass. He's a dreamer. He's a God who creates a reality and goes, I can't wait to watch this unfold just the way I have molded and shaped it. And he is a part of all of those dreams coming true in reality in real time. But what we've got to learn to do, listen, stop chasing your dreams coming true and start chasing the one who authors dreams. Your ambition should be less about getting someplace with someone somewhere to just being with someone today. And if you make your ambition following Jesus today, do you know where Jesus is going to take you? I'm here to tell you just by standing here tonight, he's going to take you somewhere where you're going to be singing. Your goodness is running after me. I'm standing there on the front row just thinking about the story of how we got here tonight and going, the entire time I was chasing the dreamer, goodness and mercy were chasing me. See, if you'll stop chasing your dreams and just chase a daily relationship where Jesus talks to you and you talk to him, you know what will happen? You'll look behind you and go, something's chasing me. Something's coming after me. It's like the goodness of God won't leave me alone. It's like the favor of God is all over me. And yes, it's hard and it's difficult. But here's the thing. I'm not crushed by the difficulty. I'm actually encouraged by the difficulty. Because here's what happens when things get hard in your life. You get to know Jesus more. And if that was your ambition all along, now your struggle today doesn't work against your dream. It works in favor of your dream. Now it helps you that they wronged you. Because you get to forgive people like Jesus forgave people the moment he was nailed to the cross and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Do you know you are never more like Jesus than when you are forgiving people who don't deserve it? That when you live in real time going, God, this shouldn't have happened to me. And you're right, it shouldn't have happened. 
But it did provide an opportunity and an invitation for you to become more like Jesus. It wasn't an interruption. It was an invitation into what you really want out of life, which is to know Jesus deeply. Every single time I believe that something is standing in the way of all my dreams coming true, it's actually the mechanism God wants to use to help me live the dream. And we're thinking backward about this. And what I want to do tonight, I'm going to put on the screen what I believe living the dream is for you. And you're not going to want to do it. It is not going to be as attractive as whatever job or whatever future endeavor you think you have in your mind. Like you're going to read it and go, oh, that's nice and impossible. And I don't, I don't think I can do it. But listen, what I'm about to put on the screen will deliver more joy and more freedom over the long haul for your life than anything else you could chase today. Don't chase the dream. Chase the dreamer. Here it is. You ready? Here's how you live the dream. Living the dream is daily surrender in your heart to whatever God wants to do through your life. This is the dream. This is what you should be wake up in the morning grinding and hustling toward. And like Matt said, the Christian life is not a hustle to work harder. It's a stopping to rest and go, okay, I surrender. Jesus, you do in me. What only you can do. Now, I thought long and hard about our church to ask the question, has anybody actually arrived at this point, like 100% there? None of us are there. Dreams should always be impossible. And I believe this dream will never fully come true until we're in the presence of God. But the ambition of your life needs to be, how surrendered am I on the inside to the work that Jesus is trying to do? And how much do I actually agree with God about the purpose of my life? And if you live like this, it doesn't look good on the screen but it actually delivers your most freeing life because the struggles that you would wish away have become the things that are delivering you into your destiny. So some of you tonight, you're struggling bad with a sin pattern. If we just went one by one through every story in this room and got overwhelmingly honest, and I hope ACC, man, we want to be a place where we are dangerously authentic and honest. We want to be a place where somebody can come up here and go, hey, I'm like struggling a lot with same-sex attraction. And we all go, hmm, we love you. We're with you. I want somebody to be able to come up here and go, hey, I just like totally ruined my life last week. And we go, we love you. We're with you. Not that we support what you did, but we're, we support you. This needs to be a place where it's, it's kind of dangerous what God is doing here. Like it makes, it makes religious people really nervous. That's the type of place that, we're gonna, that, we're, that we actually really want to be. But here's the thing that's crazy about God is that you actually believe some of your crazy sin struggles are halting your dreams. But God's so good that he not only redeems the evil committed against you for good. This is scandalous what I'm about to say. God uses the evil that you commit to accomplish his dream for your life. That doesn't mean that he wants you to commit evil. Paul's very clear. We do not commit evil so that good would result, ever. But we do know that we have a relationship with a heavenly father who, when we place our life in his hands, surrenders the key thing. We place our life in his hands. Now, the thing that you thought was stopping your dreams actually reveals your dreams. What do you mean? I mean the guy or girl in the room who's like, I just can't stop watching pornography. I can't. And that's why God won't do something great through my life, because I just, I just can't do it. I just can't do it. But maybe, maybe our sovereign God allowed you to struggle so bad in that. He didn't want you to sin. He didn't want you to walk into that, but it didn't disqualify him from using you. Maybe he wanted that noose to get tied so tight around your neck so that one day when you're free from it, you're able to look with compassion in the eyes of somebody who's struggling with the same thing and say, hey, I've been there, and God can do something. Maybe your evil that you committed becomes the burden that you're going to help somebody else out of. And maybe the thing that you thought was stopping all of your dreams is actually going to deliver you into your dream because dreams always go hand in hand with burdens. Some of you think, man, I can't. I'll never see the day where all my dreams come true because I'm so trapped in my fear of the future. But I believe God takes the people who are the most freaked out about what is coming next to be the people that he uses as his example because he's connected his ultimate dreams to our immediate struggles. I wrote down in my office, which is so cool. I can't believe we have, we have our own space. My office is like right behind that wall. It's right over there. It's awesome. And this week, I said, God, I just want to lay my burdens down before you. 
here's five things that I'm struggling with. So I wrote them down, one through five. And it was amazing because every single one that's bothering me is directly connected to a dream that has come true in my life. I'm like, I wouldn't have any of these burdens if God didn't make all my dreams come true in that area. Just like Joseph stood in that moment where his brothers bowed down to him and thought, this isn't what I thought it was. That's how I feel about a lot of dreams in my life. The first one being marriage. I, like many of you, spent a lot of time thinking about my wedding day. I thought a lot about, man, I just can't wait for that moment. I just can't wait for that night. And I can't, but I can't wait for that moment. And I just can't, I just, whoa. Some of you are like, no, literally, I can't wait. And next week, you're going to learn how. And, and it's going to be good. And, 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 so, <laughs> and so I'm in that moment. And, 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 I, and I, would just, I would just think so much about what, what, is, what is she going to be like. And I want to be able to, I just want to be able to graduate college, get a stable job, head into ministry, have the wife I've always wanted to have. And all of these things happen. But what I didn't know is that God wasn't dreaming about my wedding day during that time at all. God was dreaming about my marriage. And those are two very different things. See, while my mind was set on, oh, the dream's going to come true, and it did. As my wife walked down the aisle, I remember thinking, this is better. This is better than anything I could have dreamed of. It's immeasurably more. You're going to have those moments. But then you're going to have the moment Three months later where you realize that marriage is the space where you have more selfishness exposed than anything you've ever experienced before in your life. And where daily you got to wake up and apologize. You got to wake up. And and I mean daily. Every day you've got to become more like Jesus. And you're exposing things in her and she's exposing things in you. And you're like, I don't like this. Like this was easier when when it was just me. But this, this is harder. But it's good. It's living the dream. And I wouldn't trade it for anything. But my gosh, this is hard. Anyone who's actually married, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's like, because God's priority wasn't, oh, I just want him to have a magical wedding day. God's priority was, I need him to look more like my son. And to do that, he's going to have to die in a lot of these areas. That's how marriage was for me. That's how ministry was for me. If you would have showed me a day like today, 10 years ago, I would have thought all of my dreams for my career had already come true at the age of 31. I've been like, man, this church, this is so special, and that people are actually in seats, and I'm holding a microphone, something to say, and people want to hear it? That's a, that'd be amazing for one service. Before, this is a dream come true. I can personally tell you, I've had all my career dreams come true, and I'm only 31, and I can tell you that it does nothing for you internally. And God is dreaming about the day where you're the same person in a room by yourself as you are in a room with thousands with people watching. He's dreaming about the day where you're not afraid of your own shadow. He's dreaming about the day. This is what I found out about this position, that this position wasn't about this microphone or this stand. This position was about who I am when no one else is around. And God starts doing stuff in me, and he starts producing holiness, and he starts producing compassion and patience. See, I aspired. I wanted to be a preacher. I didn't know God was going to mold me into a pastor who actually hurt for people. Now, you guys know during the week, I have cried thinking about this moment because I'm like, I just don't want to waste their time. I get this like 40 minutes with them, and I just believe that if I say it the right way and and my heart's available, that God will come and move. And I think about the decisions that you're about to make when you walk out those doors, and I think if if I'm obedient enough and I get my life into a position of submission, maybe, just maybe they won't go and do what they're about to do. I think about that. I was 21. I was not thinking about that. I was thinking about a following. I was thinking about my brand. I was thinking about, which we didn't even have Instagram back, or at least I don't think we did, or at least I wasn't on it. I mean, I was like, if I had a follow, oh, man, everybody would think that I, it's not what I thought it was. The blessing comes with a burden. By the way, having kids is the same way. Every day I look at my daughters and I'm like, this, I'm, I'm living in a dream. This is amazing. This is so amazing. And then five minutes later, I'm looking at my girls, and I'm going, this dream is a nightmare. I don't want this. This is life. This is, this is what I mean by the collision. 
of God-sized dreams with daily struggles. They will always, always, always go hand in hand. And the struggle will knock you out if your ambition is achieving your dreams. But you'll withstand the struggle, you'll sustain the struggle if your ambition is knowing Jesus. And so how do I get my life into a position where that is actually my ambition? I got two quick points and then I promise we're done. Somebody say live in the dream. We're living the dream. Here's how you do that. It goes hand in hand with that one liner I dropped. Here it is. Surrender to God's pursuit of your heart. If living the dream is daily surrender in your heart, then you actually have to surrender to God pursuing your heart and interpret the things that you're going through that you don't want to go through as God fiercely loving you. This is going to be tough for a lot of you to take in this point, but I'm going to go for it. I want you to think of your wildest hopes and dreams for your life right now. Like if you could talk to God and go, this is what I want out of my career. This is what I want out of my marriage. This is how much I want you to use me. I mean, think crazy, just crazy, crazy. Okay, you got it in your head? Do you know the one person in all the world who wants that dream to come true more than you? God. No, 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 you, you don't actually believe that. Did you know scripture tells us that our heavenly father is the giver of every good and perfect gift that comes down from the father of heavenly lights? Here's what I know about me. When Aniston asked me for anything, I want to give it to her that second. It is never a question of whether or not I want to give it. It's a question of whether or not it's healthy and right for her. So I love her too much to give her what she asks for all the time. But believe me, Anderson, I want you to have that popsicle more than you want it. But you have been constipated and you can't have it. <laughs> this is 7 p.m. talk. Like, I want it. I want it more than she does. you got to believe me. Everything you just thought about, God's like, I want that so much more for you than you want it. But if I give it to you at the wrong time, it will destroy you. It will, you will self-destruct if God gave you all of that right now. You cannot handle that. Do you think 17-year-old Joseph, who's walking around tattletaling on his brothers, could handle being the right hand in command of Egypt? Do you think he would care about anybody other than himself? Joseph, I love you, bro. You're a dreamer at 17. But God's got to do some stuff in here for you to get to the palace. And God's pursuit of you. It is brutal because God's number one loving mission for your life is to make you look more like Jesus. Do you see why it has to be brutal? Like just think with me for a second. If you have a mirror in front of your face right now, I wanted to put mirrors in front of every single chair, but we had too many details going into this weekend, so I don't want to go for it. But just imagine looking at your own reflection. Do you know what God is dreaming about tonight? He's dreaming about that person being conformed to the exact image of his son. And I don't mean that physically you're going to look like a 33-year-old Jewish man. I mean, God's going, i got to get you from here, in this mindset, with these patterns and behaviors, in these relationships, to just like my son. We have a long way to go. Like a lot. So why does God allow for the trial to hit? Why does he allow for the thing to hit you that you didn't want coming? He seems like an unloving father. Just like to Joseph, God probably seemed like he was hateful and spiteful. He was loving. And when you learn to interpret your wrecked plans as God's fierce love, you'll stop taking in the challenge and seeing it as the thing that's stopping your dream. You'll start taking the challenge as like, oh my gosh, God loves me that much. Read this story. Read the stories in the scriptures and you'll go, oh my gosh, the more God wrecks people's plans, the more he's actually saying, I love you. I'm sorry he wrecked it the way that he did. And make no mistake about it, it is God who wrecked your plans. Now here's where we're going to get controversial at the seven. This is going to be fun. Joseph's belief that God loved him and was for him went hand in hand with Joseph's understanding of the sovereignty of God. So when you read the rest of the story of Joseph, and I hope you do, Joseph's going to have moments where he says things like, my brothers didn't sell me into slavery. God did that. No, Potiphar's wife didn't, didn't throw me into prison. That was, 
That was God. Too many times I think we try to explain the sovereignty of God as saying that God allows things. That God's like, he's in control of everything, sort of, but he just kind of lets us do what we want to do. And he goes, oh, I don't want to intervene on your free will there. I don't want to mess with that there. And just, he's hands off, right? No, God is sovereign. Now, the sovereignty of God does not equal the responsibility of God. So God wasn't responsible for the pain inflicted on Joseph. His brothers were, but he was sovereign over it. Control doesn't equal responsibility. It just equals power. And so because Joseph's able to go, God was doing all of this. And I don't believe he's not for me. In fact, I believe he's more for me. Now, I don't know where Joseph got this faith and confidence, but I do know this. If you will actually accept that the worst thing that has ever happened to you passed through the hands of God, you can actually relate to it differently because now that thing is not an opportunity for you to believe that God's not good. Now that thing is an opportunity for you to bang your fist in the ground and go, God, why? And you might not get an answer, but you will get intimacy with him, which is what he was after all along. This is why the difficulty happens. This is why pain has a purpose. This is why scripture says that everything we're enduring now is producing in us an eternal weight of glory that will last forever. So no, you might not get your answer, but Jesus will become someone to you on the floor of your dorm room that you just couldn't have when all of life was going well and easy. And I'm telling you, in the long run, you wouldn't change that for the circumstance to go the way you wanted it to go. Oh, you might not want to ever relive that pain again, but you would not trade the Jesus you've come to know. And he knows that's the best thing he can give you is himself. So what do I need to do? I need to, okay, you're pursuing me? Do what you do. I'll forgive them. Do what you do. I'll obey you. You do what only you can do on the inside of me, and I'm going to stay surrendered to you. You get your heart to that position, you'll be living the dream. Somebody say, living the dream. Lastly, you got to surrender to God's pursuit of your heart, and you got to submit to God's purpose for your life. Remember, it's surrender in your heart to whatever God wants to do through your life. And this is going to be my last thought, and I believe it's the most powerful one. The thing that collided with Joseph's mindset the most once he got promoted to his position of power, was that not only did Joseph find out that the dream wasn't what he thought it was, Joseph found out that the dream wasn't about Joseph. One of the best things that you can discover at Auburn Community Church tonight in our Dreamer series is this. Your dreams are not about you. Your dreams are about people. And if your dreams are about you, they're not God-sized, and they're definitely not God-breathed. God breathes his spirit where people benefit. And I'm going to leave you with Genesis chapter 50, verse 18. This is a powerful scripture. You don't got to turn there. This is after Joseph's father, Jacob, dies, and his brothers are all like, hey, he's going to kill us. He's going to kill us because dad's dead now, and now he's going to take us out for all the things we did when we were little. Here's what happened. Look at verse 18. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. And before I read that very last line, think about this moment. Joseph's like, you guys, I'm, it's okay. I'm not coming after you. You intended to harm me, but God had an intention behind it, and it was for good. Now, do you know how I would finish that sentence? I would say, hey, guys, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Me being exalted. Nah, I'm good. Guys, we're good. Look at me. I'm second in command to Pharaoh. You guys, scrubs, okay? I said scrubs in church. It's like, guys, come on. Look, I'm good. But that's not what Joseph said. You do not need to miss this. You do not need to miss this. Joseph said, you intended it for evil. God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives. 
Do you know why Joseph got promoted to be the right-hand man to Pharaoh? Because God knew there was going to be a famine in all of the land. And because of Joseph's spiritual gift to read dreams, Joseph knew that we need to save up grain so that when everybody runs out of grain, we got grain and we got food. The whole world would have been starving if it's not for Joseph who's been saving up for seven years. And now the whole world is bowing before Joseph, including Joseph's brothers. And Joseph goes, oh my gosh, my dream came true. And the dream was never about me. It was about them having enough food to survive. ACC, look at me. I know there's a lot of questions about whether or not your dream is a God dream or what your dream even is. Here's what I know. Your dream goes hand in hand with God's burden for people. So you want to know what is God dreaming about for your life? Here's my question for you. What bothers you? What are you not okay with in the world? What do you wake up tomorrow morning and go, I don't want to live in a world where this happens. That's probably God's dream for your life. Do you want to know ACC is actually the result of a dream that is rooted in a burden? Do you know when I was 19 years old, I read a book that changed my life forever called Crazy Love, and I sat in my church in Metro Atlanta, Georgia every Sunday and wanted to vomit at the mediocrity that was in the room? at the lukewarm feel that was in the room. It made me sick. I was like, I don't, I don't feel like anybody prayed that God would move in this service. And it seems, like, it seems like the leadership is uninterested in God moving. And it seems like the people want to race out to be the first ones out of the parking lot. And they don't even care that the spirit of God is moving. I would literally be in my seat going, God, if there's a way that church can be done where people actually care about you moving, I wanna be a part of that. I don't have to lead that, but I wanna be a part of that. And so my burden, Do you know what caused that burden? It wasn't a bad church or something like that. It was God. It was God going, hey, you're not okay with this. Hey, change this. Hey, hey, we're not okay with this. Hey, what's God bothering you about? And what's God keeping you up late about? I'm telling you, when you join that, that burden in the world to the blessing God has thrown on your life, I'm telling you, we could be a church loaded with people who are living the dream. If you're waking up tomorrow going, I'm not okay with slavery in the world, do something about it. If you're waking up tomorrow going, I'm not cool with this racial divide, let's be a people who bridge the gap. If you're waking up tomorrow going, I'm not okay with kids being raised without a dad, well, you can step into that gap for them. The local church is the hope of the world. And we are going to be a church full of dreamers that live the dream, that accept the struggle, that accept the sorrow, but step into the greatness God has for us. Would you stand to your feet all over this place? We're going to worship God. I'm believing that walls are being kicked down in this space, and I need you to be okay. If the wall that gets kicked down tonight is your comfort. God wants your expectations dropped at the throne. And so if you're here tonight, I know it's dark in this space, but if you need to come down and like bow and turn this into an altar where you give your version of your dream back to God, you can do that. If you need to sing out with everything you got, this is your moment, this is your space. But the number one thing I want to happen here is for your expectations to be laid down before God. God, shake up this ground break down every wall that I've put up to try to tell you who you have to be and you do what you do. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I believe you're going to tear down those walls. I believe you're already breaking through chains and I believe for a breakthrough in this space that lasts for generations. Would your church rise up in these days to see dreams come true? Would you shake up this ground? Would you change our religion and replace it with relationship, God? We love you. We are yours. You're better. Come on, church. We gotta sing this out, come on.